Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. We're joined today by Oscar-nominated and Emmy-winning director Matthew Heineman. His latest project is called Retrograde. Retrograde captures the final nine months of America's 20-year war in Afghanistan from multiple perspectives. One of the last U.S. Special Forces units deployed there, a young Afghan general and his corps fighting to defend their homeland against all odds, and the civilians desperately attempting to flee as their country collapses and the Taliban take over. Again, the film is called Retrograde, and welcoming back to the program, director, cinematographer, producer, and editor, Matthew Heineman. Matthew, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. There are so many reasons for people to be interested in this film, not the least of which is the kind of history, real-time history, that we here in the United States, I don't think really understood at the time that Afghanistan was collapsing. And to see it from the perspective that you present in retrograde, truly illuminating and something that I think is invaluable to us as a sort of the body politic of the United States. Uh, How did you get involved in this project? I know you are not a filmmaker who's shy about going into dangerous situations, but what prompted you to get involved with this film? It really started several years ago with with a somewhat cliched question of sort of why we fight wars. And I want to sort of look at it through the prism of a of a deployment. And I started, you know, conversations with the Army Ranger community. It led to conversations with the Green Beret community through a producing partner, Kaylin McNally. And essentially the, the original vision for the film was really this holistic look at a deployment from the perspective of, you know, the soldiers deploying and their families back home. We're going to film sort of uh, on the home front and, 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 the, and the front lines at the same time. When, you know, it took several years to get access to film with the Green Raising and go on a deployment. And then COVID happened. And by the time that happened, we, we were inching closer to the end of the, the war in Afghanistan. And it became clear that, wow, we can actually maybe tell the story of the end of the war in Afghanistan through the prism of this deployment. And that's obviously what we ended up doing initially. So you had a sense back in, I'll assume, 2018, 2019, that the war was winding around. There was an awful lot of political talk about it, discussions about it happening. I believe the Trump administration was negotiating with the Taliban of all times and of all places on 9-11 in 2019. Was that about the time that they were negotiating with them? When it first started, the Doha Accords? Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe so. Was it 2019 or 2019? I'm not quite remembering. I'm not an expert in these things. Okay, sorry. But you had a sense that the the war was essentially in its final stages. Yes, yes. I think it wasn't a question of sort of if the war was going to end necessarily. It It was sort of how and when. You mentioned just the, and I can imagine the logistical considerations that would be involved in you going to a war zone and and essentially embedding with these special forces, with U.S. special forces. At what point did you meet uh, General Sadat, Afghan General Sadat? 
we we met General Sadat through uh, you know this this Green Beret deployment. He was working hand in hand with the Green Berets, um, and after President Biden pulled out our troops, I was sort of scratching my head, wondering, you know, is this you know, do we have a film? We had a beginning of a film, we had the first act of a film, but certainly the story was not over. And so we reached back out to General Sadat, who's in charge of all of Southern Afghanistan, who's in charge of Helmand province, and asked him, you know, could, would you be open to us embedding with you and, and, you know, seeing the next phase of this war through your eyes? And he thought about it and he said yes. And then we went back to Afghanistan and, and began the next chapter of the story. Which really drives the film, uh, your relationship, this telling of his story. I want to, if, if it's okay, and if, to whatever detail you feel comfortable getting into, to kind of recap for our audience a bit about why we were in Afghanistan to begin with back in, would have been 2000, the year 2002 is when we invaded, I believe, right? Do I have that right? When we first invaded Afghanistan? Yeah. 2001, that was after 9-11. 2000, okay, 2001, and it was it was in reaction to the 9-11 attack on, on the U.S., and the perception was, and correct me if I'm wrong, the perception was that Afghanistan had been directly responsible for essentially harboring Osama bin Laden in, in the lead-up to the attack on the, on the United States. Is that a fair way to put it? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the original intent was to, you know, take out Al Qaeda um, and, and the Taliban who are harboring uh, Al Qaeda as well. Yeah. In Afghanistan. In Afghanistan. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so that led to the invasion of Afghanistan fairly quickly after 9 11 occurred. And one of the largest deployments of U.S. forces in, in, since the invasion of Iraq. I think it's important, and it, you don't get into the geopolitics of this. I don't want to make this a discussion about the kind of the the macro picture, but I think it's important to point out that this war went on, as you as we all know, for twenty years, and something on the order of two trillion dollars were spent in this effort. So let's go back to the the, the you essentially following General Sami Sadat and how that relationship developed, and what we get to see in the film about his forces and him, him as a person, well, how would you characterize him? You know, I think he's a, he's obviously not exactly what you'd think of when you think of a two-star general, you know, he's, he's 35 years old. He's, you know, young and brash and short in stature and has a, you know, somewhat high pitched voice. And, you know, it's a sort of counters your sort of Hollywood perception of what a, a big powerful general looks and sounds and feels like. But I think what what he's a deeply fascinating uh, person, and and I think obviously part of the narrative tension of the film is that every every metaphorical neon sign was saying, "Stop, give up," you know, you, your country's crumbling around you. But he had this unwavering belief in himself and his men that maybe just maybe if they held on to, you know, Lashkar, the the capital of Helmand or or Helmand province in general or southern Afghanistan. That the country would hold together and, and they'd be able to withstand the assault from the Taliban. Um, right. And he had this unwavering belief until the, you know, until the very end. And he reminds me a little bit of um, President Zelensky in uh, in Ukraine. He's sort of that same bearing, if you will, sort of that enthusiasm that he really 
goes out of his way to essentially give his troops, his people, uh, this belief in what they're doing, which is a very, I mean, it's a moving part of the film to watch him in action, someone who is a true believer. And his father has history, right? There's, let's talk a little bit about it, his father's um, role in, in Afghanistan. Father fought in the resistance and, and was uh, imprisoned by the Taliban decades earlier, obviously. And he wasn't sure whether he'd ever see his father again. So you know, for him, this is this is deeply personal. I mean, for every, anyone who's fighting a war, the war is, is deeply personal, but it's, it's particularly personal for him, for General Sadat. You know, uh, I think he also felt that the human rights gains made over the past two decades, allowing, you know, girls to go to school, women to walk out with their, at their faces covered, uh, you know, emphasis on education and, and, you know, obviously a democratic government. Those are all things that he believed in and that he didn't want to lose. And so I think he was fighting for, for many things, you know, besides just his country. The film Retrograde begins and ends with the wrenching scenes at the the Kabul airport of people struggling to get out of the country. Uh, it's a very moving part of the film. Hard to watch it serious. I mean, it's hard to watch people who are desperate to to get to onto a plane and the the chaos that's in, that's taking place outside of the airport. It, it's just a very moving part of the film. Curious about you're embedding yourself. I'm, I'm curious overall about the risks that you were taking in making this film. And were there any parts of the making of the film that were more fraught than others? In other words, being at the airport to see what was going on with the people trying to get get to safety or being embedded or what, I mean, it's sort of personal and your, for you and your, and your crew in terms of the, the level of danger that you were exposed to. Uh, was there one part of this that was more dangerous or more fraught with uh, challenges than the others? That's the better with the Green Berets, we thought was going to be obviously, you know, it's a combat mission. We thought there'd be combat. It, was, it, was, it could have been quite dangerous. W what ended up happening was, you know, the Green Berets weren't allowed to leave the wire. They weren't allowed to leave the base based on, you know, rules dictated from above, uh, given that they're, you know, it was likely that Biden was going to pull them out. So I think. That that part of things was was despite what we prepared to do was quite calm in comparison. The the embed with with General Sadat and the sort of second act of the movie, obviously, you know, uh, we I found myself in numerous you know dangerous situations, you know, getting shot at as we're as we're driving to the front lines, a scene in in a Black Hawk helicopter that I was filming in. That's you know the, the Taliban is shooting rockets at, and you know they're they're we're extremely lucky to survive that. You know, yeah, just lots of really sketchy situations that we found ourselves in, and you know, in those situations you have zero agency. You know, the, I, I don't I'm not a shooting gun. I, I'm not a military tactician. I don't know. We don't have a security team that's waiting to sort of extract us. In those situations, you're sort of honestly at the whim of, of those who are around you. And so the only agency that I have is focusing on focusing, focusing on framing, focusing on making sure the record button's on. And that the craft of filmmaking actually is what calms me down in those very intense situations. The stuff at the airport, 
in the final act of the movie, in some ways was probably the most, some of the most stressful stuff I've ever filmed in my whole career for a whole variety of reasons. I mean, we had no idea how we were going to leave or how we're going to get out. In mid-August, we were debating about going back to film with General Sadat. Pundits experts were saying up to six months, the war would last, maybe two months, three months, maybe a couple of weeks. By the time we got to Dubai, on the way to Afghanistan, things were starting to fall rapidly. And we got on a plane to Kabul. And as we descended into the Valley of Kabul, the pilot got on the intercom and said, there's a plane on the tarmac, we can't land. We were so low that the, all of our phones started to ping. Ping, 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 ping. These news alerts were coming in that the Taliban had taken over Kabul and that the plane on the tarmac was the president of Afghanistan, President Ghani, fleeing the country. All that we could, you know, the pilot was terrified, you know, and so he didn't land and we went back to Dubai. And I just felt like it was the greatest career, professional, journalistic, whatever you want, whatever my job description is, failure of my entire career. That I'd spent eight months building to this moment, this historic, tragic day. Our main participant, our main subject in the movie was at the center of it all. And we're sitting in a hotel in Dubai at the airport, hundreds of miles away. And I just was so much self-loathing, so much like, what if I did this? What if I got on an earlier plane? You know, just hating on myself. And basically spent every waking hour trying to get back into the country, which we did several days later. By the time we landed, General Sadat had been forced to flee based on the danger he was in. And I think the with every failure comes an opportunity. With every door that closes comes a door that opens. And what this allowed us to do when we landed was, was once again, we're sort of faced with the question, what is this film we're, we're making here? Because we're not the news. I'm not CNN or BBC. I'm not filing a report. I've, I've, no, I've no like immediate short-term you know, need for being there. And so what it allowed us to do was open up the aperture of the storytelling to show the civilians that General Sadat had been fighting for, to show the civilians that the Green Rays have been fighting for, to show civilians who, as in every war zone throughout history and every war zone in the future, are the ones that are most affected by these policy decisions made by often men in countries far away. And, and you know, I, I don't, obviously we would still have a film without that final act, but it's sh- it certainly, in my opinion, makes the film a lot deeper and richer by seeing this uh, tragedy play out in real time in a way that I don't think we really saw on the news. Some of that, those experiences, we made a decision right away to leave the airport, to leave the wire, to go out into the city, to see what the, the city was like under Taliban rule, to see what, this, what the gates were like from the civilian perspective, not from the military perspective. And it was, it was some of the most heart-wrenching experiences of my entire career. The, the scene at the Abbey Gate with thousands of Afghan civilians packed like sardines in a four-foot sewage ditch as 18-year-old Marines who weren't even alive during 9-11 were making these impossible Sophie's Choice decisions on who to let in and who not to let in. As the Taliban was watching nearby, as ISIS was circling in suicide vests waiting to attack, it was just surreal. You know, I had tears streaming down my face and kept having to wipe the lens down. And all I could think about was 
you know, what have we done? You look at the that one woman that you focus on for a period of time that's just standing at that fence, looking through the chain link fence and just staring straight ahead and tears welling up in her eyes is an image that I won't soon forget. And um, I think as much as anything embodies what was going on on that side of the fence for that, for all of those people. And uh, I, just what you described, Matthew, it is all of that. And um, this is certainly the best documentary film that I've seen on Afghanistan. And for all the reasons that you just described and for, uh, for a lot of others, the um, a film again is called retrograde. It will be rolling out from there to a number of different platforms. It'll be screening theatrically here in the, in uh, LA on beginning on November 18th at the AMC sunset five, as well as the Lemley NoHo. From there, it will go to National Geographic Channel December 8th, streaming on Disney Plus on December 9th, and Hulu on December 11th. And uh, my congratulations to you once again. You have provided us in these last this last decade with an amazing array of films, including The First Wave, Boy from Medellin, Tiger, The Trade, City of Ghosts, Cartel Land, and Escape Fire. Matthew Heineman, congratulations and all the continued success in the world and try to be safe whatever the next project you embark upon. So thank you, Matthew. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.